Well, good morning. I see the kids have already left. Uh, they don't even wait on me anymore. They just bolt. So if you're at, if they're they're in the back, you can go to Kidmo. Yes. Okay. First off, thank you, Ken. He always brings energy, and I love his perspective. Second off, don't ever talk about college football again. Um, I mean, Tennessee. <laughs> I don't even know where to go with that. I don't even know where to go with that. Hey, we'll see if you're saying that next week. We'll see, we'll see if you're saying that next week. All right. I say that as if I'm confident in our Vols, and I am. I went to UT. Um, it's a great season. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm not there yet. I'm getting there. But um, anyways, it is a great season. Um, we and, and our hope is we're just kind of, we're doing a thing. We do different things for our at the table, and so college football is our theme this this month. So we would love for you to come and participate. Um, if you are interested in going down to Florida, both Rick and Ken are headed down. Rick's going this week, I think, and uh, Ken's going the end of the month. Um, and I think, Rick, you had some things that you could take with you. The, um, if somebody would like to donate for some needs, you know, Rick and Helen, you may or may not know, moved here from Sanibel Island um, three years ago. Four now? Wow. And yeah, almost. Yeah. And so it was it was um, hit pretty extensively from Hurricane Ian. And um, they are Rick's going down. He's going to be working somewhere in that kind of hopefully kind of Sanibel to Fort Myers area. Um, and so some other if you'd like to talk to him about some donations that he can take with him. I don't know what he's got room for. You can talk to him. Just small things. And uh, I think toys. You mentioned some just hygiene items, just basic hygiene items. Was there anything else that uh, you wanted to mention? Pillows, blankets, just basics. Sleeping bags, clothes, just whatever. If you'd like to donate, I'm sure there will be a need for those, and um, they're going to go down and help. And if you'd like to go, then go talk to them, and I'm sure they would like for you to go with them. All right? Um, So I want to continue today our second week of soul activity. And I just, I like that music. <laughs> I think that's very cool music. So it puts me in the mood to have a serious conversation with you. I hope it does for you as well, the opening music. Um, but also thank you to our worship team. And uh, Melinda put herself out there singing today. And she did a great job. So we're thankful for all of our worship team. Uh, Joe's actually singing in our next, uh, as we close out our service in a, in a couple hours. Um, Joe's going to be singing. And um, and so that's going to be good. And um, we just, we're just every week they bless us, and we're so thankful for them and for Josh and Stephanie and their leadership. Um, we're talking about building resilience within our lives. And if you follow us on social media, uh, then I put something out yesterday simply saying this, and this is the perspective by which we are approaching this conversation. Resilience is often built in hard things. We often neglect resilience within our lives until the moment we need it, and then we desperately cling to whatever resilience we can hold on to. And so here's my hope, is as we go through, we're only doing four weeks on this, um, we all are, are in need of resilience. We've all come through a difficult few years. Some within the room are going through some additional things right now. 
and you are hoping and praying and needing resilience within your life, that ability to keep going, that ability to feel life is good, the ability to weather storms is very real in the, the ways that we're living our lives. And for all of us, the last few years, um, this collective trauma we've been through of being separated and work's all upset and relationships are damaged. And uh, it's just, it, it's a difficult time to be a human right now. Um, however, there are some, I'll just say false teachings in the area of resilience. And one of those is that if you will just pray for it, you will not be affected by it anymore. I have never found this to be true, nor have I ever found that in Scripture. It sounds really good to say that right before an offering, but it's just not true. Um, so we're going to dispel some myths as we go through this. Now, prayer is super important um, through the process of resilience. But what we find is that Jesus himself was a man who was acquainted with grief and sorrow. And so if Jesus himself could not escape the hard things of life, how in the world are we going to do that? And so last week we began just talking about the foundation for resilience, which is being connected with Christ. As Christians, being connected with the one who gets what life is all about is the way that we begin this foundation. But today I want to talk to you about some really practical things um, that you may be struggling with. And I want to use Jesus as our example for how do we begin to develop resilience within our lives. I, I will say the, the perspective from which I'm coming from is that resilience is built by doing hard things. And, and if you're in a hard place in your life right now and you are in need of resilience, you may be thinking, well, I'm, I'm out of luck. I, I don't think you're out of luck. Um, I, but... For us to approach the desire to grow and to mature and to deepen in our faith and to grow in our ability to weather storms, I, have, I know of no other way than to go through the storms. And often what ends up happening is you are going to go through a storm and think, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. And you make it. And so when the next storm comes and you're tempted to say, I'm not going to make it, eventually you are reminded, yeah, I've thought that before, but I've always made it. Now, as resilience begins to build in your life, it be, it's not just something to get you through the storms. It is a way that you view the world. It is a way that you view life, and it is a way that you interact with people. And for many that end up in helping professions or end up um, just being someone who wants to be available to people in hard places, resilience is the the deep well that they draw on and the ability to minister to those who need that very thing and what i want to do as we enter into this discussion today i want to talk to you about distraction we've been talking and referencing john eldridge did a book uh throughout the pandemic called resilient and so we're going to reference a little bit of his stuff but some of this is just I just want you to understand where you are in life, because, and it's a place where I am in life too. And as we begin to talk about distraction, what I hope by the, the time you walk out of here is that you have a commitment to living intentionally. Because too many people live their lives today just trying to happen into something. I was just walking along, and I happened into the perfect job. I was just minding my own business, and I happened into the perfect marriage. I just was doing my own thing, and all the problems of my life just happened to go away. I know of no one who did that. 
Now, the problem is, is you probably know someone who did, and in the back of your mind, you're thinking, well, maybe that's the way it's supposed to be. But by the time you leave today, I hope that you will leave this place committed to two things, being intentional, and number two, being disciplined. Because resilience is built on being disciplined and intentional. It is not built on the ability to be spiritual enough that God just wipes all the hard things away. I want us to remember that when Jesus told the disciples, you're going to go out and represent me, he said, hard days are coming. And every single one of those guys, they were not spiritual enough to avoid hard things because every one of those guys but one was martyred. And the only one that died of old age, they tried to kill him twice. So when we enter into a conversation on resilience, there's this really terrible Christian trend right now to say, you know what, just pray or just give or just come to church and God will make sure all your problems go away. And I just think, have you read the Bible even once? Even once. So I'm sure you're full of hope now after that introduction, right? You're just beaming, brimming, you're ready to quit. You're like, we're done. That's all I needed for today. I'm going to go and do this thing, and now I'm done. All right, I want to walk you through a few things. I want to walk you through some passages of Scripture, and I want to share with you some practical things that I feel I've practiced and some things I'm working on. And also, um, we're going to reference some things from another book from John Eldridge. He wrote, if you would like to go deeper into this, we're we're just going to, and passing reference it today. Um, He wrote a book before Resilient that was called Take Your Life back and it's all about dealing with distractions all right so if we go back from the beginning for those of you who were with us through our genesis study we found that in one of the most pivotal stories in all of scripture the story of the fall we have two very interesting conversations with god and it it is a conversation that he's having with us for today i want you to keep this conversation in your mind as we're talking about these things and for those of you who are here will remember that when they were walking through the garden god asked a simple question from them actually asked two questions from them do you remember what those two questions were anybody that's been here where are you great when they were hiding from him he walked in and he said where are you and the second one what was it who are you listening to oh i'm just that does my heart so good that you remember that yeah Yes, those questions are are super important for us today and god is still asking us those questions who are you listening to and where are you And that is what we're going to try to address today, okay? All right, um, as we begin, we're going to start with 1 Corinthians 9. You can follow along on version if you want, if you'd like to um, sign up for any of the things that are going on at the table, Widow's Harvest, Trust-Based Relational Intervention, or any of that. Um, There's also some links in the um, version, and you can take notes there. You can email those notes to you. We didn't have it last week. Last week, uh, I guess version had so many people using it, it crashed, so we didn't have it last week. But it is back up this week. Um, As we begin, I want us to begin recognizing that in all of our lives, we all have a longing. We all long for certain things. And at different seasons of our lives, we long for different things. Maybe early on in life, we're longing for connection. We're longing to be accepted. We're longing to have friends. We're longing to have purpose. Um, as we get older, we begin longing for other things. Maybe we begin longing for a career that we feel like it matters and it meets our needs and we're longing for a soulmate that we can do life with. We're longing for children or we're longing for, um, just 
life to be fun and, and, and exciting and enjoyable. As we get older, their longings change. Our longing becomes, I don't want to work so more or as much. Um, I, you know, I want everything to work out for my kids and I want for my life to make sense and I want to, you know, God to make some sense out of the mistakes that I've made, but also that I'll leave a legacy. We, we have all kinds of longings that happen throughout life that tend to change, but that longing is placed there by your Creator. Our longings can move us to good places, but our longings can also move us to some really bad places. And so we recognize from the very beginning, God has placed a longing in our hearts and our ability to understand that longing and to move towards it in a way that is healthy and purposeful is the difference in falling off the wagon or moving to a place where life really begins to make sense. The healthiness. We all have a longing, and our longing primarily from that moment has been God asking us, where are you? Because God desires for us to be with Him. Every generation decides that the previous generation had it easier. Amen? We long for the good old days. You know, our parents didn't have it this hard. And our parents will say, oh no, we had it a lot harder than you. But my parents, now they didn't have it as hard as we did. We have this sense that somewhere in the back in the past, things were better and easier. We were uh, hanging out with some family members yesterday, and uh, my brother-in-law was just talking about, they had gone up to Cades Cove, and he said, you know, it's truly amazing that 150 years ago, if you drive through Cades Cove and you see some of the little settlements that are still there and the old homes, he said, it's just amazing that 150 years ago, you know, we didn't have heat and air, and we didn't have cars to get us where we needed to go. We didn't have the basic things we take for granted today. But yet somehow we think, you know, a little house on the prairie, those were the good old days. You know, Paul was just the best, and uh, if we could just get back to that way of life. and But life was, was hard. You didn't live very long. You often died of disease, and your children often wouldn't make it. I, life was not easier then. Maybe it was simpler. But within us, there is this longing that we can easily attach to different time periods that is ultimately our longing to be with God in the very beginning in the garden, which we hope to get back to. That's why we care so much about heaven. There is a longing that is placed within us. There is a longing within our hearts. We want to get back to the things the way that they were. But the reality is, is God wants to do something now in your life. But the back to where things were, He wants you to be back to the place where we are walking with Him. We are living life with Him. We are managing the world with Him. And we are experiencing life with Him. This is the longing that every one of us feels. But we may go off into any other shoots or places if we decide that's not the place that we want to go. You know, the life we would be living today, I don't know what it would look like. God never intended for us to walk around naked in the garden forever. He intended for us to take what he had created and to walk with him and to develop it from there. It, was, it would not surprise me if God always had the, the, the development of medicine to be as a part of his plan for all of creation, even if we had never have left the garden. I... I, I fully believe God would have had them build habitable dwellings at some point in their lives. Siri never understands my sermons, by the way. Always tries to jump in on my sermons and never understands it. But we were meant to walk in simplicity with God 
hand in hand, managing this good thing without the problems that we experience in the world and in our lives. But that is where we are. And so God is still calling us back to that place. John Eldridge in his book, Resilience, said, the longing for things to be good again is one of the deepest yearnings of the human art. It has slumbered in the depths of our souls ever since we lost our true home, for our hearts remember Eden. We have a longing. Many people that end up in very unhealthy places in life, it is not because they had an unhealthy longing, it's because they sought to meet that longing with something that was unhealthy. And for some of us, as we've come out of this pandemic, uh, you know, we're trying to be 100% back to where we were, and let's be honest, a lot of us still aren't. Things are still weird, but I think things are getting better. But still very, very weird. And as we explore what does it look like for us to be resilient in this world, there is a piece that connects our longing to what is good and is healthy, not just that fills the time and distracts us from the thing that we wish we had that we don't. Honestly, a lot of us, we're doing that right now in life. We found something to distract us. We found something to keep us busy. We found something to take our mind off of the problems or off of the disappointments or off of the loss. And now we're doing tons of these things now. And the reality is, is we're not any more full. We don't feel any stronger. We don't feel any more resilient. In fact, in some ways, we feel less than we did even before. But we're doing all these things because it is a distraction from us from our, all of our issues and of our problems. There is a part about living life that you have to recognize the tendency for us to pursue unhealthy longings or to try to fill healthy longings with unhealthy things. And if we are not intentional about where we are going and we're not intentional about what we are doing, we're not going to end up where we want to end up. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24, he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. Paul saw that there was a reason to be intentional about how you lived your life. And if you want to get somewhere that that you want to go, it is going to require you to be intentional about it. Not only intentional, but disciplined. Next week, we're going to be talking about just working through hard things. And the reality that working through hard things helps us to work through harder things later. Intentionality is the secret to most of the things we long for. But distraction is the enemy of intentionality. We've talked about kind of these three uh, ways of living your life, or these three kind of layers to life. The, The shallows, which is just where most of us live our lives most of the time, we're just we got things to do, we're busy, we got things we want to watch on TV, we got places we want to go, and we got bills we got to pay, and, and you know, we've got to watch our social media feed, and why is nobody liking my post, and 
uh, you know, we've got all these just superficial, busy, busy, busy things that tend to dominate our lives. And then, and then we can go a little deeper into our lives, uh, into the Midlands and the Midlands is that area where things that really do matter. We think about things that are, are, are real concerns that need to be addressed. You know, things about aging or about our parents or, or are my kids doing okay? Or what's their next step? And, you know, there are things that do really matter within our lives, that, that kind of midland area where we have to stop and we have to really consider some of those things. But then the deep, the deep is the place where we really get to understand what we're about and what life is about. It's a place where God is and where He meets us. It's a place that nobody accidentally ends up in, but instead you have to plan your life to live it in the deep. And the deep requires you, as we talked about last time, uh, last week, it requires you to take time, it requires you to create margin, and it requires you to be connected to the one who makes life make sense because he is the author of life, and that is Christ. It's the deep where we have those hard conversations with God. It's the deep where we have to really consider our own lives and we have to decide, am I, you know, who am I really? We have to really wrestle with some of the issues of our lives and we have to listen for God to speak because when God speaks, it's usually not in the storm, it's usually in the still whisper. So many of us, We've just gotten off track on our path to resilience because we have lived our lives in a place of distraction. The very next thing we have to do. The very next thing that has to be taken care of. And instead of taking time to consider and to reason and to wonder, God, what would you have me do in this moment? We filled that time with TikTok and Facebook and Instagram and all those things. Or we get the next season of Netflix to drop and it's like, well, I don't know what I need to do, but I'm going to tell you what I'm doing for the next eight hours. I'm going to catch up on the latest season of whatever. And in all of that time, what could have been accomplished in those eight hours? And it's not just about work. What could have been considered? What would it have looked like for you to have have just gone outside into the backyard and to sit and just to ponder for eight hours? Would you come out of that eight hours in a different place than eight hours of watching the latest Netflix show. I don't know. I never do it. The reality is for most of us, in order to t- stop and it and anything in life, it is a painful experience. If I were to say, you all, we have locked the doors. You cannot leave. And for the next four hours, we're going to just sit here in silence. Like some of you be coming out of your skin. Right? Could you do four hours of silence? Most of us would say no. I mean, unless you're napping. Don's thinking about taking it. He said, I can take a nap for four hours. I can do that. But what about an hour? Could you sit quietly every single day? Could you carve out an hour every single day just to sit quietly and to ponder? Oh, yeah, well, I could do that. would be easy. Okay, when's the last time you did that? Uh, not sure. See, a lot of times we're so busy with the busyness of life, the reason we don't have resilience is because we have not been intentional about the way we live our lives. We jump from thing to thing. We jump from longing to longing. We jump from the next promise to fill our longing. And then at the end of the day, and then the end of the week, and then the end of the month, and then the end of the year, and then the end of our lives, we look back and we go, what did any of it mean? 
We ran from one thing to the next. Now it's so fascinating that Jesus had so many missed opportunities for ministry. Now that just sounds heretical, doesn't it? (laughs) That Jesus had so many missed opportunities for ministry. So many times the people were there to hear and he was like, nope, I'm out of here. And he got on the boat or he got on his donkey or he got with the disciples and he said come on guys we're leaving hey but what about all these people ah they'll be all right we need to go have some time away and he would go and he would pray and he would be quiet and he would ponder he would talk to god and he did it over and over and over again just just go through any of the gospels and just just mark every time jesus went away to pray or jesus left the multitudes or jesus went away to a mountain just just mark the number of times. It was a regular occurrence for him. Things today, like I'd be like, uh, listen, we got all these people. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta talk some more. You know, we gotta do some something more. We gotta do whatever more. But Jesus was like, huh? I, I've got to get away and get with the Father. And you need to come with me. We've got to get together and get away with the Father. How many times do we do that? Or I, I'll pray, and gosh, thirty seconds in, I'm like, all right, well, I got a call I got to make. Or you know, that phone is burning on our leg. It's just sitting on our leg and we're just, it's just begging to be flipped over. And what's going on? What have I missed? And it's just begging for our attention. Now recognize for some of you, you, are pro- you, you may be in this place where you're like, this is, this is how I live my life. You're not telling me anything that's new. But I would say that is in the minority today because we are bred to be busy. We are bred to be busy. And the people that are keeping us busy, they have employed really smart people to tell them how to keep our attention. And it works. Works. How many times when we have real problems within our lives that we're like, I just can't think about that right now. Real issues that come up, and it's like, I don't know what I'm going to do here. I don't know what I need to do here, but right now I just can't think about this. I don't have time. Or what about that? those moments in which we just lay awake at night and we're like, I just don't like this life. I don't like where I'm headed. I don't like what's going on. I don't like this place that I'm in. I'm just going to roll over and look at Facebook. That'll make me feel better. And We don't really take the time to figure out what God wants us to do. Intentionality is the secret to the most of the things we long for, but distraction is the enemy of intentionality. Reality is that distraction for some of us is a lifesaver because the world starts beating us down and it just at least gives us a reprieve. I think one of the problems of our culture and the problems of this day is that distraction has become the medication for us to avoid dealing with the problems in our lives. It's just easier to be distracted. It's just easier to do, do something. It's just easier to watch another season. It's just easier to go to Facebook. or and, and those are the socially acceptable things. It's just easier to get a bottle. It's just easier to go get some drugs. It's just easier to flip on some porn. I mean, it's just easier to do that because now my mind is whisked away from the things that I need to be dealing with, the things that are weighing me down. And I can at least for a brief moment escape and feel better about life. This is not how you were made to, be, to live life. It's the way we've 
happened into life, but this is not the way we are meant to live life. Many of the things we're using to distract us are actually poisoning our souls. They're poisoning us. For a lot of us, you know, some of us I know in this room have committed not to do social media, but there are some common factors between social media, alcohol, drug addiction, pornography addiction, and every other kind of addiction. They they all fall under the same way that the brain chemistry works. I've got a I've got a picture uh, using social media for um, our object for today. Well, kind of hard to see. But your dopamine system is a system within your brain that, that seeks to be filled. It's, your, your brain elicits dopamine, and it is a chemical that re, it causes you to hunger and to thirst for things. Not just food, but I mean just whenever you post a selfie and you're like, why is nobody liking my selfie? It's you know the thing that your dopamine system does is make you just want to be filled. So whatever you hunger and thirst for, that's, there's dopamine being released within your brain, and it's making you want stuff. And then when you get the thing that you want, you have this overwhelming feeling of satisfaction. As dopamine increases, you feel more satisfied. As it begins to decrease, you begin to feel less satisfied. And we continue to try to feed it. So often what happens is our brain is hungry for something we begin looking at social media or begin drinking or doing alcohol or pornography or whatever other things and dopamine increases making us feel good and that then in turn makes us want to pick up the phone that will continue the cycle to continue emitting dopamine that will continue to make us feel good because our hunger is being satisfied but the reality is is that it's never satisfied There's an intentional part of the design of our bodies that we are supposed to break the dopamine cycle. We are supposed to, at times, stop the dopamine cycle. We are not supposed to be constantly hungering and constantly filling. There are times we're supposed to be satisfied and we're supposed to stop. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the Sabbath and the intentional place in the calendar that we read in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 that God says, you need to break the cycle and you need to rest, and you need to be satisfied. And, and part of, if, we, if you practice Shabbat, which is the Jewish practice of Sabbath, a part of that 24-hour period of time that you're supposed to stop is supposed to be filled with moments of gratefulness, remembering the things that you have, and by giving up and not practicing the things you do by the rest of the week, when that hunger begins to come back, it reminds you of all that you have. And it gives you a way to discipline yourself not to be ruled by the hunger that happens within you. But most of us cannot break the cycle of the hunger. Most of us can't get to the point where we say enough, stop. If you followed us with, uh, if you're following the Baymont podcast, an increasing number of you are like, yeah, man, we love it. <laughs> but if you follow the Baymont podcast, and we'll, we'll bring this up again, we talk about Sabbath. He says, if, if, you, know, if you look at the, the story of the fall and you look at the one who is the uh, enemy in that place, Satan in that place, the deceiver, the one who says, yeah, don't listen to God, just eat it and you'll be fine. He says that that entity was not a human, but that entity 
sure looks and sounds like a human. (laughs) He has legs and arms and talks and reasons and is understandable to Eve. And he said, if we are to decide that the image of God is determined by the fact that you have arms and legs, well, that story tells us that's not enough. If it's your ability to reason, well, that's not enough. It's just your ability to talk and to communicate. Well, that's not enough because the enemy in the story of the fall did all those things and that was not a human. He says the most obvious indication of the image of God in that story is the ability to say no. To not be driven by hunger. To be able to be disciplined and intentional. And the way he will describe it is to stop creating. That the Sabbath was the indication that it was time to stop creating. That there's a place where you can do and do and do, but if you do one more thing, it ruins it. I was trimming my in-laws' bushes yesterday. Thanks. I didn't zoom in on it. I didn't want you to see too closely what I did. They had two rows of bushes. They had uh, these rose bushes with these huge thorns. I have scratches and bumps all over me. Apparently, I'm allergic to thorns, I guess. I get these bumps that pop up and all these scratches. And, and they had the front row were these enormous rose bushes. And the back row were these burning, big burning bushes. And so I did the rose bushes first. And I don't know, there were like six big rose bushes and there were, I think, 12 big burning bushes. By the time I got to the 12th burning bush, it's amazing anything was left because I was just, I was ready to trim that thing down to the roots, you know. I was ready to be done. It was, it was good to see it go away. But there's a place that in trimming, especially a rose bush, I don't know how many of y'all have rose, we have some enormous rose bushes at our house. We are no responsibility for them. They were there when we got the house, and we just haven't been able to kill them yet, which is a pretty amazing thing. But I trimmed them down, but I had to learn how to trim a rose bush. You got to trim a rose bush at the right time of the year. You got to trim a rose bush at the right in the right way, and you got to trim the branches in the right place because you do it in the wrong place and you cut their growth centers off or cut them in half, and they may not come back. And so it's easy when I start trimming stuff like I. In my mind, when I'm trimming a bush, I don't know if any of you trim bushes in here, but in my mind, trimming a bush, the more, I, the, the more I trim it down, the less I have to work next year. Does anyone else think that way? Like, if I trim it to here, I'm going to have a lot of work next year, but if I go down to here, like, I may be able to take next year off. So, you know, I'm ready to get down here, you know, because I, I don't want to trim these bushes. I don't enjoy it. Marty Solomon would say it's one of the things that makes us most human and most in the image of God is our ability to say, stop, this is enough. Even good things can be taken too far. We'll talk more about that in a couple of weeks. Social media has been that thing where we have, we had people that showed up to my dad's service that I hadn't seen since I graduated from high school, and they found out on Facebook. (laughs) And so they showed up because it was in my hometown. It was great, wonderful. I got to see them. There are friends I get to keep up with on Facebook that I don't ever see, and I just get to kind of watch what they're doing, and they get to watch what I'm doing, and then we'll message each other every now and again. And it's just a wonderful tool, right? But sometimes we can take good things too far. University of Pennsylvania did a study in, in conjunction with Harvard. The effects of social media use on the brain and on just your overall sense of 
goodness of life. And they, they took a bunch of college students and they split them into two groups. And the first group, they said, you can use social media 30 minutes a day, that's it. After you've done 30 minutes, you're done for the day. And the second group, they said, ah, you can do whatever you want to. We're no limits. You don't have to use it, but you can use it. And of course, they used it. At the end of the study, they interviewed both groups and they found this interesting correlation that the group that used it no more than 30 minutes a day were less depressed, less sad, and what may be more surprising to you, less lonely. Because the assumption is that social media keeps us from being lonely because we're connected. And, you know, the reality is is that it, we scroll endlessly on this stuff. Even on bad stuff, we scroll. We call it doom scrolling, like bad news. I just want to fill my feed with bad news. I just can't stop. i got to go to the next one. These are all distractions that take away from the goodness of your life. does not mean you can't use social media. We, we use social media. I use it way less than I used to. There are times, I don't know if anybody does this. I, have you... Sometimes I'll pull into the gym and I'll be a little tired and it depends on what time of day I've gone. But I've learned about myself when I drive into the gym parking lot, I need to turn off the car, get out of the car and walk into the gym. Because more times than I would like to admit, (laughs) when I pull into the parking lot and think, I don't know if I'm feeling this. I can't tell you how many times I've pulled my phone out and started scrolling. And then 30 minutes later, I'm like, is it 30 minutes later? And do you know, how I will just pull right out of the parking lot. Do you, does anybody else do that? Just me? All right. Okay. That's the power of the endless scroll. It takes you off track. Focused attention can accomplish incredible things. Focused attention repairs marriages. Focused attention makes you a better parent. Focused attention is what gave us penicillin and the x-ray and the MRI. Focused attention is where cars came from and the ability to fly to Mars, maybe. Focused attention is why we have pictures from stars that are billions of miles away. That did not just happen. Focused attention (coughs) did that. But focused attention also uh, is what happens when a person says, hey, I just haven't seen you in a while. How are you doing? And focused attention is I'm going to sit down and I'm going to learn something new. Focused attention is the ability to say I don't like my life, I'm going to change it. Focused attention is what it takes for you to decide, I think I want to try a new career, and now the steps you're going to have to take to be ready and get hired in a new career, it required focused attention. You did not scroll through Facebook. You did not find it through a bottle. You did not 
you know, all of a sudden happened upon that. There's always some story of some guy who's like, all I ever did was watch Netflix, and then they hired me, and now I make a billion dollars a year. You know, there's always that one story that then we feel like, oh, well, then I guess that's the way it's supposed to be like, be, life's supposed to be like. We ignore the other eight billion people that that's not their story, but that one guy did it, so I guess maybe I can just watch Netflix, and maybe I'll be a billionaire one day. Like, no, it's not going to happen. I find it fascinating that Steve Jobs never let his kids have an iPhone. Let that sink in. Never let his kids have an iPhone. Interestingly, some of the most successful people today no longer carry a smartphone. It's too much distraction. There are too many interruptions. And you can't think about what's next when you're constantly being attracted to advice who they want to talk to you right now. You know, some of the practices I do with the way I use my phone, like I turn off read receipts. I don't want anyone to know when I've read your text. So if you're like, I don't know if Mark's read it or not. Exactly. I've got a friend and he's like, if I don't respond to his text, like he doesn't even leave me a voice message. If I see a missed call from him and I don't respond to him within the next five minutes, I can expect he's going to reach out on at least two other networks to ask why I haven't responded yet. You know, you, you, can, you can use these um, read receipts in email, and people want to know, why haven't you responded yet? I just, that kills me. Like, no, I don't mean like that. I don't understand it. <clears throat> I mean, it kills me. When I got to respond right away, <clears throat> sometimes I need focused attention to decide how I need to respond. Sometimes I don't even know how I should respond. And I need to think about it. But if I've got to respond to you right away, then it may not be a healthy response. I'd like to think that I do everything on the spur of the moment as perfectly as it could possibly be done. But some in my family have told me I don't do that. You know, most of us don't. In our house, focused attention, one of the celebrations we had this week is Malia learned her threes, her three timetables. And I, you think, oh, that's great, that's so cute. No, no, it's not cute. Like, I didn't think we were going to survive this week. It was a chance the loves weren't going to be here at church today if we didn't get our threes under our belt this week. And we got our threes under our belt. There was much rejoicing in the love household this week. That is just the only, and, 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 and it is tempered by the reality that the fours are coming, Right? <laughs> We didn't get past the threes without focused attention. And there were some some tears around that, um, I will say, encouraged, forced, uh, focal, focused attention. It was encouraged at sometimes forced. Um, but we got past our threes. And it required that. Some of you have renovated your house that required focused attention. Um, there's a difference between being a focused follower of Jesus and a distracted Christian. There's a difference. Jesus wasn't interested in the distracted Christian. You think, well, that's harsh, Mark. Remember the rich young ruler who came and said, I'm ready to follow. I've done all the things that I'm supposed to do. And he said, yeah, but you're missing something. Go sell everything. And it wasn't that we have to all go sell everything. It was the point that for him, he was distracted by his wealth, and Jesus knew that. When you're no longer distracted by your wealth, come on. Because the only people who can can travel with me, I mean, they've got to be focused on what we're doing here. We're intentionally doing something here. 
Focused attention can accomplish great things. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 4. He says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is, in, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. He's talking about focused attention on your thoughts. If you don't hold your thoughts captive, your thoughts will run away with you. Think about the things that are important. Doom scrolling is not on the list. Think about these things. Verse 9 says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Resilience is built when we are intentional about our thoughts and our actions. We don't accidentally become uh, resilient. I don't know why I'm tongue-tied today. We, we don't accidentally become resilient. There are certainly people who have been through hard things within their life and they have developed kind of a toughness, a callousness. That is different from resilience. Resilience is the ability to love life even when life is hard. It's the ability to have joy even when things are going wrong. Being callous, that is something else. But resilience is built when we are intentional about our thoughts and our actions. Resilience is built when we are intentional about our practices. When you wake up in the morning, how do you spend your time? What is the very first thing you do? What is the very last thing you do before you go to bed? Are you intentional about the amount of sleep that you get? Are you intentional about things that you put in your body? Are you intentional about where your eyes go? I was working with some friends this week on a social media campaign, and we were just, you know, it's just, I mean, marketing, it's the thing right now. We were, work, we were working on marketing for a, a mutual um, group we were working with, and uh, a couple of guys working on it, they don't, they don't ever, they don't use social media. And I'm like, well, this is going to be a real problem if you don't use social media, and we're trying to get a social media campaign going for them. And the reality is, is they know where their eyes go when they get on social media and they've decided that's not the way they're going to live their lives, so they don't do it. So we've got a workaround for them to be able to pull off a social media campaign without actually having to look at a feed. And I love them for it. Love them for it. Our practices are so crucial, the way that we live our lives. It is built when we are intentional about our practices. Some of the practices that, um, that John Eldridge brings up in his book, um, Take Your Life Back. He says, um, number one, don't ever look at social media in your bedroom. Your bedroom needs to be a place of rest. You know, don't take things in there. He would also say, don't put a TV in your room. I have a TV in my room. <laughs> he would say, don't put a TV in your room. Let your places where you rest be a place that's devoted to rest. Don't fill it with emptiness. He also goes on to give a challenge, and he says, I would challenge you this. Just try for today to cut back your consumption of whatever. Netflix, social media, whatever. Cut it back to 50%. Can you, do it? Can you for one day, cut back your usage to 50%? 
And you may think, sure, and try it. If it's an hour, cut back to 30 minutes. If it's eight hours, cut back to four. Can you do that? The next part of his challenge is to do this. Do not even look at your phone past 8 o'clock at night. Don't even look at it. Don't let people reach out to you. Make sure that there's some way that you can get notified by the people that are most important to you, by your family members, or if there's an emergency or something's gone wrong. But turn off the notifications for social media. Who cares how many likes you got? Who cares about all these other things? Turn it off. Be intentional. Have a period of time at night where you don't use that at all. And absolutely don't go to bed using social media and don't wake up using it. But it is so easy to do that. I just need to wind down. Let me just mindlessly scroll. Don't do that. See, the world has figured out. People like me, I'm a, if you're our guest, I, I'm bivocational. I'm a marketer as well as, as a pastor. And so marketers have figured out how to keep and hold your attention. If we can keep and hold your attention and keep you from thinking critically and deeply about anything, we can direct your behavior and move you to the steps that we want you to take. And that is namely, we want you to buy the thing that we're selling. So if you stop and you just consider is this a good idea well we don't want you to stop and to consider we just want to keep your mind busy yeah it's a good idea and here's five other people who said it's a good idea and here's a cool picture of somebody else who says it's a good idea and you should do it and it's going to be great and now you've done it and great now they've got another thing you should do most of the problems we find ourselves in with a good hour of really critical thinking we may not have gotten ourselves in that position and some of them just five minutes of critical thinking because we have a tendency when we get busy and distracted not to really consider, God, what is the wise thing to do here? But instead, we just do it because that's what we do, and that's what our friends do, and that's what everybody does. And it feels good. It's not illegal. And what's wrong with it, really? I will tell you that distractions are the enemy of resilience. I... I don't know any other way of living life. If you, want to, if you want to tangibly accomplish something with your life, if you want to tangibly grow in your faith, if you want life to tangibly make sense to you, I know of no other way than to do it through a disciplined style of living. And I think if you read through Scripture, you'll find that God would agree with me. Because he's the one who authored this idea of disciplining. Now when we think of disciplining, we think of punishment. We think of shaming. We think of doing bad things to people. That, but that is not necessarily what discipline is. As a parent, your primary responsibility is to teach your kids how to live a disciplined life so they can have a good life. And by good, what I mean by that is they're alive and they're fed and they have a roof over their head. That is a good life. I don't mean that they have the best of everything. I mean they're, they're alive and they're fed and they have a roof over their head. That is a good life. Parents, if you, if you can accomplish that, well done. Good and faithful servant. All right? A lot of our job as parents is teaching them how to live a disciplined lifestyle. 
But if we ourselves don't live a disciplined lifestyle, how in the world will they ever believe us that that's a, a legitimate way to live your life? Distractions are the enemy of resilience. I want to just kind of end today with two pieces of wisdom from Scripture. First is from Proverbs 4. It says, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all of your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. And again, Paul from Ephesians 5. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of time because the days are evil. As we leave today, I want to give you something tangible to do. Now, we're all different in this room, and some of you are more disciplined than others, and I don't know where everybody is on this. But we do all have distractions. Here's what I want to just encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to find today 10 minutes. And if 10 minutes is no big deal, an hour. I want you to find 10 minutes sometime today to sit quietly with no distractions. I mean, no TV, no radio, turn your phone off, I, I mean, no distractions, no you know, kids coming up and talking to you. I, I don't know what it'll take for you to be able to do that, but 10 minutes of just quiet pondering. You can spend that 10 minutes, you can spend time praying. You can spend that 10 minutes thinking about a decision you need to make. You can spend 10 minutes pondering the purpose of life. <laughs> you can spend that 10 minutes doing whatever you want to do, but do it quietly and without distraction. And at the end of that 10 minutes, there's, there are a few possible responses you're going to have. A possible response is, that was amazing. I think I'll do 10 more minutes. Although I think that will be the exception. I think a very likely response is going to be about minute um, one is, this is ridiculous, and um, I'm going to go do something else. <laughs> but I do believe that if you will create a practice of carving apart, a, a time aside to really think and to ponder and to pray, to really distance yourself from all the distractions, from all of the ads, from all of the scrolling pictures, which most of them aren't even worth looking at anyways. If you will break the dopamine cycle so that you're not hungering nonstop and you feel like your whole life is just trying to get the carrot that's at the end of the stick that you just you never seem to get, or as soon as you do get it, it's like you never had it in the first place and now you need the next carrot. Break, break the cycle. Resilience is born from people being intentional about life and you cannot be intentional unless you distance yourself from distractions. All right? That's my challenge for you for today.